Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Tip of the Spear Leadership Podcast. Our next episode is going to be great, and our guest, Chief Mark Bayshore, is a seasoned veteran with over 40 years of leadership experience. You're not going to want to miss this one. Please like, subscribe, and share. Leave us a review on your favorite podcast network. We will make sure to read them all. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Search Tip of the Spear Leadership. Our movement of strong, competent leaders is growing every day, so get the word out. Share with your friends and coworkers on social media. Thanks, guys. Hey, guys. How's everybody doing today? Uh, we're here with episode two of Tip of the Spear Leadership Podcast. Welcome. We're glad to have you with us. I'm your host, Mike Nasty. Today, I'm proud to have our guest, Chief Mark Bashore. Sir, please tell us about your 40 years of experience in emergency services and give us a rundown of different leadership positions that you've held. Hey, Mike. Thanks for uh, having me. I appreciate it. And uh, hi to all the, the listeners out there. Um, you know, 40, working on 42 years now uh, in this business, having started as a volunteer in Prince George's County and literally worked my way through the ranks uh, to chief of the department there for almost seven years. Uh, there was a period where uh, I left in uh, 2005, uh, and I took a position in West Virginia as an emergency services director for a county, and uh, then came back to serve as chief. And then uh, after I was done with that stint, I moved to Florida and uh, mm-hmm. took a position there as a public safety director in a county where they wanted me to build a uh, combination fire department from the ground up, basically taking 10 independent volunteer departments and creating a county department. So I did that, spent about three and a half years uh, getting that off the ground, and then um, retired, if you will, again, to uh, move over to the Sarasota area and uh, continue to work on building a house here and working with FireRescue1.com, the executive editor for that for the last five years, and Look forward to uh, continuing that, both uh, writing and working on video work. That sounds fantastic. That definitely sounds like a lot of experience and a lot of uh, different, I guess, different um, experiences. I'm not really sure how to say that. Maybe I should have, uh, you know, thought that out a little better. A lot, <laughs> you know, it, 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 it's a lot of uh, the, the career has been a lot of opportunity. And, yeah. you know, that's one thing that um, um, when I talk with people, we talk about taking advantage of the opportunities that are put in front of you. Uh, and that that's not that's uh, not necessarily uh, take every opportunity that's out there because not every opportunity that, that's out there is a the right fit. Sure. Uh, so, we, yeah, go ahead. I think your favorite opportunity or most memorable opportunity that you had. Oh, de- definitely, Chief of Prince George's County. Uh, that uh, nearly seven years uh, took about twenty years off my life, and um, <laughs> it uh, while, while there was a, a lot of heartache, headache, uh, there was also a lot of fulfillment with that position, and um, you know, not only with the people that I worked with, but learning the the politics and. Uh, and I don't mean elected politics, but learning the politics of the job and, mm-hmm. and working with the media there in the Washington area 
uh, and uh, you know all of the great folks that are all the great departments that are around. That clearly was was the uh, uh, antithesis, if you will, of my of my career. Do you think it was more difficult working to the political side um, as the chief of the department? Because as a you know, we're here to talk about leadership, and I think. Obviously, as, as I'm sure you've experienced, the chief is, is the highest rank, whether you're chief of police or whatever the highest rank would be for your organization or your police department. Do you think it was the most difficult for you as the chief? Because, as I said, you are the, um, the face of the department and everything's going to come right to you. Well, it, it definitely from a perspective of having that weight on your shoulders. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, all of the other positions. Not that they did, but all of the other positions, you know, individuals there could could turn around and walk away if they wanted, uh, sure. you know, retreat, if you will, mm-hmm. while the chief continues to be out there on the front line. And those experiences have helped uh, all of the places, really, all, all three of the states that I've worked in. Uh, but, but clearly Prince George is the most has uh, helped mold the, you know, my leadership styles and, and has helped mold the classes that I continue to teach getting ready um, coming up at fire rescue East down here in Florida, I'll be uh, presenting the could you rescue you program. Uh, it, it really has helped mold those programs into um, uh, things that resonate with people around the country. And, you know, I, I couldn't have done it without having taken advantage of those opportunities that were put in front of me. No, definitely. It definitely sounds like it's uh, quite the learning experience and a heavy weight. Now, do you feel that when you were in the fire, you know, Lieutenant Captain, those areas, the the middle or the middle management area, do you feel like you felt the weight the same or do you feel like uh, it got turned up, you know, when you're at a lower level because you have less people, but more people you're accountable to regularly? What do you think about that? I think it's different weight. You know, there's there's much less political weight when you're a lieutenant, a captain, mm-hmm. uh, and, and much more about the functional weight, if you will, of um, dealing with Grandma Jones's emergencies firsthand mm-hmm. and, and dealing with the immediacy of that, where the chief is typically much more a political weight. Um, and, and when I say politics, like I said, I'm not talking elected politics. I'm talking about everything that goes along with it, budget, uh, media. Sure. Uh, you know, you name it. Um, so it's a different kind of weight. I didn't have to generally, generally speaking, I didn't have to worry about that immediacy because the lieutenants, the captains are taking care of that. Sure. Um, now I was a little different than a lot of chiefs that are out there because I still ran calls mm-hmm. and, you know, I, I listened to the radio all the time. Hell, even now I listen to the radio, but, um, and, and if there's a call, um, and I can have a positive impact and I'm close by, I go. Uh, and that's, that's what we're supposed to do. That's what it's really all about is providing that service. And being present too, right? You're having your face out there. And it's actually kind of funny how you mentioned uh, running calls if you were close and if you can, you know, have a positive effect. I do remember that in my time when I was working in the Bowie area. So you'd show up on calls unannounced or you would get on there and take command and, you know, whatever, I guess the situation, uh, you took it at the situation of face value. But one thing I remember the most, and you're the only person I've ever seen do this. I remember a lot of times we're cleaning floors, doing our, going about our day. And here comes Chief Bayshore running through the uh, bays. Hey guys, how you doing? And just trot on along and, and go about your, go about your run for the day and get started and 
20, 30 minutes later, you're getting gas out back. Hey, how you doing? How's it going? How's everything? And you go about your day. And that's, I think that's something that's very important because, you know, we've talked about being the face of the department politically. And as you said, not um, elected politics politically, as far as, you know, around the citizens. But I think that's important for people uh, in the firehouse or people that you serve or the citizens that aren't part of that political side that don't normally see that side where they're out, you know, I don't know, getting something, getting gas, whatever it is. And they see this guy come running through smiling, waving, and, you know, then they see you out in the field in your uniform or on the news talking about a call that they ran. I, you know, I think in a smaller area like that, that those are connected, but when it comes to the fire service in general or a leadership position, you running through a firehouse is not something that um, people I think see a lot, but it's something that that's impactful for us because you're there and we, we see you and it's, and, you know, we kind of got a little chuckle and we smiled and waved and it's good rapport, right? I mean, yeah. that's, that's a good thing. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's, it, and for context for the people that are listening, going, what in the hell is he talking about? <laughs> um, when, I, when I lived close to the firehouse in, uh, in Bowie, where you're talking about, uh, it was not unusual for me to go on my three mile jog in the morning or afternoon, whenever it was, I could get it in. And when the rear bay doors of station, 39 were open, it uh, was not unusual for me to run through the rear of the firehouse and out the front of the firehouse as part of my my uh, morning jog. And um, it is all part of being present and, and not just being a title and being a figurehead. Uh, it's about it, uh, being a part of your staff's day and being aware of what your staff is in, engaged in and setting the example of, frankly, PT and, and getting out there and getting it done. Absolutely. Cause you could always have somebody and you never know this, you know, you never know what people are thinking. You could have somebody one day that's like, man, you know, I should probably start working out or I need to get better and get, get in better shape. I, I'm not really sure how to do this or that maybe they're on the fence about making any change in their life. And then here comes the fire chief zipping through smiling, goes about yeah. his day. And you're like, oh, well, you know what, if he can do it, I can do it too. And yeah. you know, you have all kinds of effects on people that they may not, they may not realize until, uh, you know, later on down the road or that exact, um, situation of seeing those things when you're leading by example absolutely um, yeah and and i appreciate you recognizing that that's uh that, that's you know the the example is not always about leading from the front or uh, you know leading from the rear or anything the example is just the example sometimes sure. and um you know how people take that and how that manifests in people is going to be different with everybody absolutely um, so that, that actually kind of ties into the next point of, you know, I worked for you as a firefighter, I worked for you as a medic, and uh, you were the one that called me when I got promoted to lieutenant. And I'll never forget the phone conversation. It was in the afternoon, you called me and, and you said, you know, hey, Mike, good morning or good afternoon. This is uh, Chief Bayshore. So did you ever think this call would come so soon? Do you think, did you ever think this day would happen? I'm very proud of you. I just wanted to let you know that you were being promoted to the rank of lieutenant. And that, I mean, as I'm sure you can understand, I mean, that's a huge moment in any person's life. Um, and then the first thing is when you called me to tell me that, I always chuckled. Or I chuckled because I remembered, you know, man, this is a guy, wild, you know, smile and wave, hey, chief, how you doing? And the first thing that popped in my head was you running through the firehouse. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> while those things may seem very small and minute, it's still leadership, right? It's positive interactions and moments that people are always going to remember. And, you know, this is just, you know, me being promoted or, you know, and, and then you going about your day with, 
you know, showing everyone that you have a routine, you're, you're showing uh, the PT side of, you know, you're still getting it done, whether it's the morning or the afternoon, but all these things, when us as leaders in any realm of being a leader, you know, small things like this have a, a, a dramatic lasting effect on people for the rest of their lives, yeah. you know? And so uh, that's a, one of my very fond memories. Um, and with that, you did actually talk about uh, the next part of our discussion is the promise. So mm-hmm. for all our listeners out there, could you please explain what the promise is and go through it? Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, and for those that, that uh, follow me on Facebook and, you know, there's, I'm sure there's quite a few and, and some that don't, and that's fine, too. Um, I will routinely use part of the promise. Uh, and what the promise was born out of was um, a, a desire to have both a mission and a vision statement that uh, were not only memorable, but that meant something because, you know, the, and in my classes, I talk about uh, missions and, and mission and vision statements. And I put up examples of large departments, uh, some of the largest in the country and some of the smallest volunteer departments that happen to have them. And they're these fantastic glowing flowing um, articulations of, I, I typically say whatever, because mm-hmm. after about the first line or so, people lose focus. Sure. They don't know what you're trying to say, or they recognize it as some hyperbole of, oh, yeah, everybody's got that mission statement. Mm-hmm. Everybody's got that same thing. So, you know, I really distilled, and I want to talk about both things together, the promise and uh, unless you want to keep mission separate, I'm going to talk about them together. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, um, you know, the, the bottom line is our mission, no matter how you look at it, our mission as a fire service is about service. It's, it's not about anything else. It's about service. Now, that service might be emergent or it might be non-emergent or it might be political in nature or it might, you know, it could be anything, but it's service. We are a service industry and we are service people. And, you know, it, it just kind of was a light bulb one day. And I went, well, why don't we just make that our mission statement? And that became service, the word service. That, and as far as I know, it still is the Prince George's County uh, mission statement or or something close. But the word service became our mission statement. Now, following the mission, we needed to come up with a vision. And that was a little more difficult because you couldn't, you know, it's just not right to have the mission be service and the vision be service. Um, you know, I think it's a little trite. So what, um, what I looked at was the values, you know, what were our values? And then if I could take what our mission was and our values, then we could have the vision. So the, um, same thing, you could go to people's value statements and you see integrity, you see honor, you see trust, you see all kinds of things. And they're all great. They're all, uh, things that, that means something to somebody and uh, have have impact and have value in what we do. But the same thing, you would ask recruits, what's your, you know, what's the value statement of your organization? You know, what's, what are the values that are important? And typically they would struggle through and integrity always comes up and honesty usually comes up. And, 
Uh, and that's where the promise was born. So what I did was I sat down and I looked at what all those values were. And uh, the promise is an acronym. Uh, the is trust, honor, and ethics. And that's the core. The core of everything we do, the core of every um, uh, issue that we work with, public trust, the emergencies, the non-emergencies, the politics, it's all about trust, honor, and ethics. Mm-hmm. And then promise, uh, that's professionalism, I'm sorry, professionalism, responsiveness, outreaching, mentorship, inspirational, safety-minded, and energetically enthusiastic in everything we do. That is promise. So then taking the the, uh, value statement of the promise and taking the mission statement of the word service, it's very simple that our vision is service through the promise. And um, I've worked with that with actually several organizations across the country that uh, a couple have adopted, either adopted that or adopted, uh, you know, their own versions of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think that while it's not magic, uh, you know, let's not paint it at anything other than what it is. It's words. Sure. The, the bottom line is uh, it gives you some words that they are tangible to people and that people can put uh, or can mark their performance against and uh, gives people something to to chew on, if you will, uh, especially when they're in that position. They might be thinking about doing the wrong thing, whatever that is. Um, you know, I would always talk to people and I would ask them how if, if someone would come to me and, and ask about what should I do about this? Or what should I do about that? And it, it was in the realm of a value issue. I would ask them how uh, that marked up against the promise. And sometimes that was an easy answer for folks. And sometimes it made them stop and think. And if, um, you know, if we can make people stop and think when it's not that emergent moment that they have to make a decision, mm-hmm. then we're going to bring value to their career uh, by helping develop, um, you know, help developing them as firefighters and developing them as the, the upcoming leaders, uh, because all decisions don't have to happen right now and don't have to happen with such immediacy. Sometimes we can stop and we, frankly, we should stop and think about what we're getting ready to do. And that's where the, the mission statement, the value statement and the vision came together. Uh, and, and ultimately that's what the promise is all about. So those who follow me will see me routinely put up T-H-E on uh, posts and that's typically forwarding some post about something in the fire service across the country that's uh, probably a negative thing Uh, and um, what i'm saying to people is we need to remember that trust honor and ethics is the core of what we do and this particular post doesn't reflect that so that's that's where it all came from that's what it's all about no, I understand. And, you know, I remember sitting in uh, officer candidate school, you brought that up. And I remember, uh, I remember the, your best example of that was the Washington Post test. And mm-hmm. the Washington Post test of the example for that day was a newspaper you had. And it was a police officer from the East Coast who got into an event in a, we'll call it a club on the West Coast. And the first thing they said was where that police officer was from got injured at this club. It didn't say anything to the effect of him that he was on vacation. It didn't say anything to the effect of any of that. Everything, the very first thing was who we work for. So 
us as yeah. leaders, you know, things you do outside of the firehouse, outside of business, outside of the military, whatever it is, will always have lasting effects. And it's never those titles or you have the or, you know, you, you represent, you're at that department, you're always the face of it, you know, regardless of where you fall in the fray of um, the, the um, command structure, you know, whether you're, you're a firefighter, a fire chief, whatever it is, probably a lot more under scope the higher you go, I would assume. Um, you're the, you're the face of that department first, you know, so if you're not, if you're going to do it and this is what I'm saying, would you want it on the front of the Washington Post? And yeah. Very, I'm sorry. Yeah. That, that test, that test, we called it the Washington Post test. And, uh, Mark Brady is one who explained that to me, uh, years and years ago, uh, before I was anything other than a firefighter. Uh, and that was, that uh, the first thing they did in the morning. Now, most folks today don't have a, pick up a newspaper anymore, right? They, they pick sure. up the internet. But in, in our day coming up, that was what came to your front door first thing in the morning was the newspaper. And the, the test was, what would your grandmother think if she picked up the Washington Post and saw your story on the front page of the Washington Post? And we always put emphasis on, is it front page and above the fold? If it was, it's got to be something bad. Rarely, <laughs> it's something, is it something good? So, um, yeah, that test is still applicable. It's just yeah. about when Grandma Jones turns on, or when your grandma turns on the Internet um, tomorrow morning to, to get her news, is she going to be proud of what she reads about you? And you can take that it further too where you know to the people that you work with you lead uh you you know depending on your style of leadership the people that you work for you're still accountable to them regardless of what you're doing whether you're at work or whether you're not at work and if it's not something you could stand in front of them and proudly say hey i did this and doesn't even have to be anything major like a crime or any like major event it's just a matter of how you carry yourself and your conduct especially on social media which sure. You know, you could take a great reputation or a mediocre reputation and destroy it in a matter of five seconds when you hit send for something to post. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, it's going to take you a lot of time to recover from that. And then as a leader, you have to affect you have to understand how that's going to affect your um, your your leadership uh, capital, I think, is the word for it, where, you know. Your effectiveness. Yeah, not, not, just your, not just your capital, but your credibility. Credibility. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. So, yeah, yeah you're. <clears throat> Yeah, you, you have to set that example, and it's yes. not just anymore. It's not just an example of running through the firehouse, right? Sure. It, it, it is an example of everything you do 24 hours a day. People don't like that, but you know what? Tough. Get over it. Exactly, uh -huh. and, they, and people see everything. You know, yeah. I've, said this, I've said this a lot, and I feel like I say it every day, and I've said it on my last podcast. I'm probably going to say it on a lot more. <laughs> it's no – people – where I learned this lesson the biggest, and it took me a long time to really understand this and really understand the effects of it is when I had a kid and, you know, I hate to keep bringing them up, but I mean, I think the lessons of having a, having a, having kids as a father or as, you know, as a mother, whoever you are, they see everything and they forget nothing. They yeah. really do. And, you know, I'm not saying your coworkers or your, your, I mean, your customers as well. I mean, that's a huge thing. I didn't even think about that. Your customers as well. They're going to see things and they're going to remember absolutely everything you say and do, especially on social media, because social media is ink. It lasts forever. It's on the Internet forever. And, you know, you got to stop and think about those things. And the first thing that, you know, needs to go through your mind is, 
is this something I could walk directly up to, you know, whoever you want, you want to say your stakeholders, your, you know, your elected officials, your coworkers, whoever, is this something I walk up to them and show them and be proud to show them or, yeah. you know, am I going to be worried for them to see these things? And, and, you know, that's definitely something you always have to think because once you click send, it's just like shooting a gun, the bullet's gone forever. Yeah. Does it pass the Washington Post test? Does it pass the Washington Post test and does it align with the promise? Yep. Um, so that's a great, I, th I think that's a great uh, acronym. I, I think everything in there is very, very good. I think it's something that's a good mold for you know, somebody's listening to this and they have an organization or a, a group of people and they're not really sure, you know, where do I begin? How do I create my structure of departmental uh, values and, you know, a mission statement? It's, it's a very good place. And, you know, I do like the fact on your firehouse magazine where you explain that the very last thing, one of the very last things, excuse me, says you can make it, you know, make it yours. Um, you know, definitely, definitely think about that and, you know, remind and replay this. If you want to listen to chief base or repeat all of it, because it's very good information, um, regardless of where you are in leadership, whether you're the lowest guy, you're the chief of the department. These are, these are very good things that are very, very important, both life, business and public safety. So, with that, Chief, um, we're going to go to our next topic, and the next topic is going to be leadership challenges. So in your article that was published on November 15th in 2022, it's called Leadership at Its Purest, Create a Culture that Allows Your Members to Flourish. I'm going to take a quote out of that article. It says, you've undoubtedly heard or been part of the myriad discussions about how to lead. From the front, picking up the rear, from the floor, the tip of the spear, etc., the truth is, there is no single right way to lead. After all, leadership isn't simply a position, a location, a rank, or a title. Leadership in its purest sense is about creating and fostering a culture that allows others to flourish. So what style of leadership has worked for you, Chief, specifically when you were a new officer for the first time to get you through the challenges that we face as new leaders and new officers? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's great. Uh, great question. And I'm not sure I have a great answer for you, but I will, uh, I'll do my best. Let's give uh, it a shot. I am definitely a lead from the front person in general, uh, but I want to address what um, I want to address the, the, the article and the things you talked about there. It is just like a weight loss plan or an exercise plan. There is no one plan just like there is no one leadership style that is the plan or the style or the way to get it done. Uh, that style and that plan will differ not only from person to person, but station to station and department to department. Uh, and it, you know, frankly, if we had it licked, you wouldn't need any of us because we'd be living in a perfect world and we don't. Uh, so um, I am one who, like I said earlier, always, tried to take advantage of what opportunities were put in front of me if they were applicable to, to who I was and, and what I was about and um, made sure that uh, while I coming up as a lieutenant and coming up as a captain, one of the things that always stuck with me uh, was to not forget where you came from. And, you know, I think it's easy for people to say that, but then for people to demonstrate that's a whole, a whole nother issue. And the difficulty is that sometimes while I say that, that 
I never forget where I came from. I, you know, I tried to demonstrate that by things like running through the firehouse, you know, doing PT, uh, helping rack hose at fires, you know, doing, doing all those different things. But then there's other times where as you grow in your rank, while it's okay to continue to sweep floors with the, the folks and uh, empty the trash and uh, check the apparatus, I mean, you need to do all those things. You need to keep doing all those things regardless of your rank, uh, which I did. Um, there's also times where you need to be the boss and that may be a discipline issue. That may be uh, you know what uh, folks, I need you guys to take care of uh, the, the housework today because I have to do X, Y, Z, not because I'm the Lieutenant or the captain, but I need to get this stuff done. So I think sometimes when that happens, people go, Oh yeah, he just says he, 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 he doesn't forget where he came from. But the reality is Forgetting where you, not forgetting where you came from and doing your job um, are, are not mutually exclusive of each other. Sometimes doing your job means you have to take on new responsibilities that may not have been where you came from. And people tend to want things to be the way they used to be. But as you progress in rank and you take on more responsibilities, things are not going to be the way they used to be for you. That's just a fact. And sometimes um, I think people have difficulty understanding or accepting that when I talk about don't forget where you came from. Um, but leading from that front for me means demonstrating. Uh, when, when people are able uh, in training and exercises or where I, I'd like to use this, when people are able and capable, uh, capable and able of conducting a training exercise on their own, I, that's where I lead from behind. I allow those people, you know, and I encourage those people to do that training and to conduct, uh, to, to organize that on their own with, with as little input as I can possibly, uh, as I have to give them, you know, so there's a time where you lead from behind. There's a time where you need to be leading from the front and there's a time when you're in the middle of the pack. Uh, but I am definitely in general terms, a lead from the front, lead by example, um, and in, in the leadership styles, I'm across, uh, if you did the Myers-Briggs uh, uh, personality traits over the years, uh, the, the DISC, uh, D-I-S-C, I was definitely uh, the uh, D, which was, so people can laugh at that all they want. But at the end of the day, that's about dominance. Mm -hmm. And that's just my style. Uh, and when I, when I need to be, I am. And when I'm not, I'm not. And balancing that's not easy, but that's pretty much who I am. So let me ask you this to follow up with that. Have you ever found yourself, I guess, I guess this might come up a little bit more as you promote and move uh, or maybe just in general with any crews that you may have worked at. And this doesn't have to stay within the fire service. This could be, you know, any of your endeavors. Um, do you ever find yourself that, do you ever find yourself evolving or changing what you're doing? Because, you know, your leadership style here, you know, and, you know, whatever example may not work in your next endeavor. So let's say just for conversation's sake, you know, you go from being a Lieutenant to now being a captain. Now you have different people. You're in a different place. You're in a different environment. You're, you're the newer guy, right? You're the new person to the ship because you're newly promoted. Do you find yourself changing or um, evolving how you do things uh, based on where you are and what's working and what's not? To, to most, uh, to, to most accurately respond to that, I'll say you, Yes, I find myself developing. Um, I won't call it changing. 
even though that's what it is, but, you know, changing suggests you were doing something wrong. Um, evolving. Where, yeah. Evolving. Wait, I, I mean, evolving or developing it. I like developing personally. Um, you, every opportunity you have to interact with people and every opportunity you have to run a call with grandma Jones out there is an opportunity to develop. And we see things that nobody else sees. We deal with things that nobody else deals with. Uh, we deal with our communities in their darkest moments. Rarely do we deal with our communities in their, in, in their most shining moments. Um, you know, we, we are involved with some of those scenarios, but usually we're dealing with our communities and with our people when they're dealing with everybody else's darkest moments. And we either develop from each of those interactions or we can find ourselves not just getting into a rut, but getting ourselves into a situation where our own mental health and our own uh, well-being uh, suffers. So absolutely, every experience I had and every opportunity and um, change of rank was an opportunity to, de to develop and evolve. Uh, changing is more about when there's a new standard that comes out. Right? You know, we may not have a choice. Okay, we need to change the way we do things. Riding the back step is an example. As that standard came out, I, I hell, I used to love riding the back step of fire trucks. Mm -hmm. That was, uh, that was, that was where it was, right? I mean, sure. But um, we, a new standard came out, and I didn't have a choice, and and we evolved from that. And absolutely, I I was on a fire truck where somebody fell off. Uh, fortunately, they lived, but uh, plenty of fire trucks where people were on a back step and um, they were killed. So I fully recognize it was a safety issue, but at the time that it occurred. That was a change. I had, to, I had to stop doing that, not because I necessarily wanted to, but because the standard and the liabilities of that standard said I had to. So that's where change comes in. But the, the, uh, the, the evolving and the uh, developing is all about all of those interactions and how all of those pieces come together and, and focus you as a, as a growing, uh, thriving leader in our organizations. Do you think you have to find your, or do you think, you've had to tailor your style by person. Whereas, you know, I mean, obviously everyone has their own personality. Did you ever find yourself realizing that certain styles or certain ways you would go about doing things uh, didn't work for some, but worked for some others. And then um, mm. have you ever had yourself to had to tailor it to other people and then be successful with it or unsuccessful? Can you talk well, about that at all? That's a great question. And the answer is absolutely. Um, you will notice that that most <clears throat> successful people in uh, chiefs' jobs and in politics, because they're a lot alike, right? I mean, they they sure. you may not you may not agree with that, but they are a lot alike. Sure. But you will find that uh, a lot of uh, most of the successful people in those positions are able to tailor their interactions with people based on the audience that that they have. Um, that's nothing other than navigating the success or navigating the politics of the situation you're involved in. And again, I don't mean elected politics. Na navigating the politics of the situation sometimes means that you have to act or react a little bit different with this individual or with that individual or with this group or with that group, whether that's race related, whether that's uh, ethnicity related, 
whether that's uh, firefighters versus police officers, all of those dynamics come into to being successful and learning how to deal with those is no easy task uh, and, and something that people really do need to work on. And definitely take, you should take the opportunity if it's a, a culture that's different than yours and, you know, a, a background that's different than yours, just because your background or ethnicity or whatever, you know, whatever situation you want to use is different. You know, I think as a leader, you should always take the initiative to learn about it. You should sure. take the initiative to know about it and not facetious or not facetious, excuse me, not like a, as a, on, don't put on a facade with it, but like truly care enough to know if you have a coworker that's from a much different background, different upbringing and all that, listen to them, ask them about it, learn about it, because yeah. it's going to make both of you more well-rounded because if theirs is different than yours, that means yours is different than theirs. You guys can turn around and you can start talking about it. You can start learning about it. And then in the future, that's, I mean, I think that's going to build trust. I think that's going to build so you genuinely care about people, you know, people in your command and, you know, over time, you know, that's going to lead to building the connection with them to inspire them to do things that need to get done and inspire them to better themselves because they know you truly care as the leader. Yeah. And that's not something you can fake or, or you know, that's not something that you can, um, you know, do at work and then turn it off and go home and pretend like, you you know, and then it's, no, it's, it's something you have to be all in on because we are the leaders. We are the setting the example and, you know, people will do things and, and, want to better themselves when they know that you truly care about them Absolutely. more than, more than yeah. just on your ship, like a 24 seven thing. Like once they know that you care, they'll follow you anyway. They really will. Um, so to follow up with that just a little bit, do you find yourself using all these different things that we've talked about? Do you find yourself using those at home? Cause I know a lot of our listeners have families and stuff like that. And I feel like myself personally, I remember I've, realize a lot of things parallel both at work and at home and they parallel with each other stuff that I think and do at work I you know I try at home and stuff I try at home I try at work and you know things work and they don't work and it's all trial and error uh do, what do you what do you think about that uh do you, do you feel that some of that's kind of rubbed off into your home life and you know because we all have families you know you've brought it up you brought it up a little bit earlier about mental health and all that and, and the home life is definitely a big part of your your mental health and your uh, resiliency at work sure yeah, so um, two, two distinctions. One, uh, home is home and work is work. And while we're always on duty and we're always firefighters, there still has to be a home. And that's important for everybody's mental health and their well-being. So having said that, I can definitely say that I did not do a fantastic job um, as I came up through the service of balancing those, but I'm, I know few people who do. Uh, so it has absolutely been an evolution for me. And, you know, I look back at how my kids, um, who are, you know, they're now late twenties and thirties, but how my kids, um, saw me interacted with me, or saw me dealing with other people, the things I said, uh, the places I took them, uh, there's there's lots of things that I wish I had done differently. But there's also lots of experiences that they got to to experience with me that um, I think the the two relationships of work and home, there's some symbiosis to to that, 
but I tried to keep them separate. And, and where I say that, you know, we, what I mean by that is that um, I did not coming up have um, a tremendous network of, of um, off-duty friends in the fire department, uh, if that makes sense. Yes. So you know, I, I wasn't a drinker, still not, uh, not a drinker, don't play golf, don't play softball. You know, I'm not the stereotypical uh, firefighter that, at least from when I was growing up, the stereotypical firefighter that we knew of. Um, sure. I'm able to navigate those those uh, halls, if you will, by, you know, when I was on duty or when I did have the opportunity to go to the softball games or be involved in them, uh, you know, I did. And I, I was part of that gang, if you will. Um, but I was also very cognizant that when home was home, um, that that needed to stay that way. So to answer your question, are there are there things from both sides that I tried in both places. I, I, I would say to some extent, yes, but that wasn't an experiment for me in life. Um, I, as, it, I, as I listened to you ask the question, it, it seemed kind of like an experiment uh, question and that just wasn't me. Um, I, I credit my ability to um, separate those things uh, to my father and my mother. Uh, my father was a World War II Marine. And then when he came back, he was a mailman and a Baptist minister for 30 years at the same time, a small Baptist church. So very similarly to me coming up to the fire service, when I would go places with my dad, you know, when he had to go deal with somebody who just died or he had to go deal with a uh, a crisis situation of some sort in the church, or maybe it was a wedding or, you know, whatever it was, I saw things and did things that, uh, and, and saw how he dealt with things that um, I suspect my kids kind of saw the same and had the opportunity to see the same. So I'm not sure that I could say I used both of those as an experiment to fulfill each other, but I think that symbiosis of the two of them was just, who I was. I didn't flip a switch when I went home and turn off the fire department. Absolutely not. I always listened to the radio. I was always present. I was always um, available. People knew they could get a hold of me if they needed to, but they also knew that I had a home. And I think that's what's really important is that we recognize we as lieutenants and captains and battalion chiefs coming up, we recognize that our people have a home and we need to respect, we need to respect that in them and uh, respect that um, while they're at work, you know, we're going to do X, Y, and Z, but when they're home, if they want to be involved, fantastic. If they don't, I get it because they're home. So I, I hope that answers the question, but, uh, I don't think that there is, is one particular set of things I can say, yeah, I used this or I did that from home or from work. Uh, there, there just was a symbiosis that was natural to me. So that's exactly where I was going with it. And it wasn't, it wasn't a loaded question. It was just me genuinely being curious because I think as leaders, you have to understand how to, I guess uh, my best analogy would be like driving a uh, manual car. You have to know when to push the gas and the clutch. You know, you don't have to be totally fire department 24 seven. You can be fire department 
on your shift at work. But when you're at work, you need to be engaged and you'd be hundred percent and do your best. The biggest lesson I think that needs to happen is you have to understand no matter how you do it. If you're engaged all the time, you listen to every call, you, you know, whatever it is, just because you do that does not mean that people that you work with do that. And you have to be able to balance that and respect it and understand that when people are off, they're off. And yeah. it's our job to ensure it's our job to ensure that we get them the knowledge that they need, that the, the, we get them, you know, whatever it is that needs to be done is done and you can still stay engaged, but you still have to respect that, that, that home life. And you need to be yeah. able to back off and let them have their time and deal with it work for what's at work. And I think in my experiences over time is, you know, we talked about social media earlier when it came to the Washington Post test. And I'm going to talk about text messaging a little bit now. I think sometimes where people are a little damaging is, you know, they're texting while they're off, which is okay. I mean, there's nothing wrong with texting your coworkers and all those things, but I think sometimes you just need to understand when you're in that leadership position, leave them alone. Yeah. You know, let, let them, let them be home. Let them, you know, if you create a group text and, and they want to, you know, joke around and laugh and joke, let them laugh and joke and keep your business stuff at work for business. I mean, yes, of course you want to give, you know, preemptive imp- or, uh, early notification of things that are coming, you know, by text. Like if you have something important, tomorrow's your debt, your, your uh, shift. And today you hit everyone up. Hey guys, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yes. I mean, that's, I think that's always good. People like knowing what's going on, but you got to be able to turn it off and just let them be. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that's something that I have struggled with in the past as much as I don't want to admit that um, I have. And, you know, I just think it's something that you have to have that balance because that balance will always come back to how things affect you at work. Sure. Um, you know, I, I think I think being a better, uh, more engaged father has made me a more engaged officer. And I think, you know, through trial and error, I found myself trying different things with different people as far as my leadership style. And I think that, you know, as your time as a leader goes, you're going to find things that work and don't work. But ultimately at the end of the day, it comes down to being able to know when to push the clutch and to hit the gas. And most of all, I think the biggest thing I was getting at was respecting people's time and respecting the fact that, you know, there has to be that separation. I mean, you said it very, very well yourself. So yeah. yep. with that, we'll go to the, our last, uh, our last point of the, of the, okay, chief, we're going to move on to our last point. Our la- the last question I had for you for the show. Think about an event or a period of time in your career that really tested you as a leader or your leadership. How did you use the fundamentals of your leadership style and the promise to get you through the event and the period of time afterwards? Yeah, it's a great question. And I will, I will answer it with um, two situations, one of which was when I was in the fire service and one before I was in the fire service, or as I joined, I'm sorry. Um, the, the most recent one was before there was a the promise. So this wasn't as chief, but um, I was a deputy chief. And um, we were in a situation where our uh, county executive was suggesting that uh, the fire department needed to do certain things. 
that were going to be um, frankly illegal. And uh, I had an, an moral dilemma at that point, and certainly it was not an ethical dilemma for it was really a moral dilemma whether I was going to continue to be a part of that organization. And it wasn't anything that anybody didn't know. So it wasn't like it was stuff happening behind closed doors. This was stuff out in the open. And um, I had to make a decision whether I was going to continue to be a part of that. And I made the decision that I was going to leave. And that's when I retired the first time. And that, that, was, a, uh, that was a while ago too, right? When, how, when, when that was 2000, yeah, 2004. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, I interrupt you. Keep going. Yeah. yeah, so it was 2004. And that um, that scenario was where, while we didn't have the promise as a way of doing business, if you will, it, it, you know, that was my personal values, which the promise reflects, you know, most of my life that, that the promise reflects my life. And I had to make that decision uh, professionally, uh, whether to be a part and I made the decision to not be a part of it. So there was some part of me that felt like I was abandoning the rest of the fire service, the rest of the fire department. And some part of me that knew that it was just the right thing to do uh, because I was in a position, you know, once you get into those positions, you can't, we talked about in the beginning how sometimes, <clears throat> excuse me, how sometimes officers can just turn around and walk the other way or, or, you know, firefighters and just turn around and walk the other way. They don't have to worry about X, Y, or Z. But once you're into those leadership positions at that deputy level and you're, you know, in, in uh, where we were um, at the time, we're, you know, called serve at the pleasure positions, you, you don't have the ability to just turn around and walk away uh, and remain on the top. You know, you, you've got to make sure, um, you weigh those decisions and, and weigh your um, professional uh, ethics and morals and, and make decisions sometimes when you're in those serve at the pleasure positions. You're, you know, it's, you're not union protected at that point. Uh, you're not protected by any, anything other than uh, the, the fire chief saying, have a nice day. Uh, in, in other words, fire chief firing you. you. When you're in that position or the county executive firing you, when you're in that position, you've got to make those calculated decisions and it's one that i made uh based on that the, the county executive wanting us to do the things he wanted us to do and um you know i felt pretty well vindicated when that county executive went to jail for uh the things that uh, were related to the things he wanted us to do so um you know not only him but his his wife and others associated with him um that proved to me as a professional that my moral compass was in the right place and that um, you know that not only had I made the right decisions but that they were the right decisions for not just me for my family and for the organization at the time because the last thing you needed was somebody in the position who was bitter and not productive for what that county executive wanted to do that wasn't going to be productive for the organization. Um, and then the other situation, even further back, what really molded me in life was um, coming out of high school when I joined the volunteer department and I took EMT and I took firefighter. And in the course of those four years of my high school, ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th grade, 
19 of my classmates died in drunk driving accidents. And I, as an EMT at the age of 16, I, as an EMT began picking those people up. Um, that was, you know, became part of who I was. And that's part of how I, my uh, ability to cope and deal with tragedy uh, was first formed with my experiences with my dad, but then formed uh, and, and honed, if you will, by having to pick up my friends. And I don't mean pick them up and take them to the hospital. I'm pick them up, take them to the morgue. 19 of them died. And that was a very impactful point of time in my life, both from the perspective of dealing with death and disaster, but in dealing with uh, our mortality from a perspective of um, alcohol and choosing at that point that I, you know, and, and what I did, and I, I'm going to talk about this in the class at the uh, uh, Fire Rescue East. I, at that point, listened to the words in my head, and I talk about a wall judge a lot of times. And those words in my head were my wall judge, and they were my mom and my dad saying, if Johnny jumped off a cliff, are you going to jump off after him? And, you know, that really resonated with me. And at the end of the day, what they were saying was, are you going to go ahead and drink? And because yeah, none, none of those 19 kids took a drink and thought, hey, I'm going to go kill myself now. Drive off the, 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 the uh, highway or get into a wreck. None of them thought it was going to happen to them. They all thought they were invincible. So unfortunately for them, their experience helped mold, um, you know, my experiences and helped me realize that I didn't need to follow Johnny jumping off the cliff. And um, sometimes just because it's popular culture doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. So those are the two experiences in leadership, if you will, um, that kind of helped mold me over the years and, and made me who I am. So do you think when you were, you talked about uh, your ethical uh, mm -hmm. dilemma when you were a deputy chief, mm -hmm. do you feel that moving forward in the future um, to your next, you know, when you said you left, um, when you moved into your next endeavor, do you feel like that had an impact on your leadership style walking in day one of your next, uh, your next position? Oh, absolutely. I take that with me everywhere. Um, that experience is extremely, it was and is extremely impactful on who I am and how I, how I lead. And I don't just mean lead people, but lead organizations and, and lead the development of things. Um, uh, you know, we, we talk a lot about culture and, and people and, um, and politics, and it all circles back to service. It doesn't really matter what culture, it doesn't really matter the politics, it doesn't, none of that stuff matters. What matters is, are we providing the service we're supposed to provide? And having had that experience at the highest levels of, of our government at the time uh, was, was extremely critical and impactful in me recognizing that sometimes what feels right or looks right is just wrong. And, um, you know, having, having been through that, I took, take that with me everywhere I go and in every experience and every opportunity to teach that I have.
Yeah, I mean, it's always going to ultimately come down to no matter where you are and what you do in leadership. I mean, there's going to come a time where you're, you're going to have to put your foot down and you're going to have to do the right thing. Well, um, we sh- yeah. And we should hope that we're doing the right thing all the time. Mm-hmm. But, but you're absolutely right. There are times where, you know, you, you let, um, you know, there's a slide I have in my presentations now that I've started using in the last year or so. And that is stop blaming the clowns for acting like clowns. If you're going to keep letting them run a circus, <laughs> That's a good you know, one. Um, yeah. it, 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 at some point you got to put your foot down and you're, you're absolutely right in what you said. At some point you got to do what's right. And, um, while you may have let the clowns act like clowns for a little while, uh, when it's time for the circus to be over, uh, it's time. Yeah, especially when that becomes an unpopular decision or the decision that you need to make isn't Absolutely. something that's against, it's against the grain, right? So yep. it yep. may not be as serious as an ethics problem, but I mean, you may find yourself in the situation where, you know, you have to make a decision. People don't really like it, but you know it has to be done. And you just, you have to be able to have the confidence in yourself to be able to make that decision. And, and that's, that's a big step, you know, having an ethics issue or having whatever the issue is that you want to insert. I mean, it could, it could literally be as, as simple as how to move apparatus around. It could be as simple as where we need to fix and what we need to fix in training, or it could be as difficult as you have an employee who, or an employee or a, a person in your crew or your team, if you're in the, you know, the, the um, corporate world where you need to address shortcomings you have to get those difficult conversations out of the way discuss them and address them and put your foot down and make that decision that they may or may not like whether they like it or not and whether you're happy about doing it you have to i guess uh be comfortable with being uncomfortable um you know that's definitely just uh, the fact of leadership that it's you have to do it whether you know whether it's popular or not absolutely Um, yeah. Yeah. And I want to make one one recommendation for reading um, for people. And, and this was one that was impactful for me. And it goes to exactly what you just said. Uh, and that, that the title of the book is Fierce Conversations. And it's Dr. Susan Scott, if, if uh, those people that have not seen it or read it before. And I have no stake in the book. So uh, <laughs> this is, you know, this is unsolicited uh, support. But that that book was impactful for me in dealing with people and dealing with those situations and having those fierce conversations that um, most of us try to steer away from. But as a leader, whether you're a lieutenant, a, a captain, a battalion chief, a chief, a chief chief, an assistant chief, a deputy chief, whatever chief you are, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes you got to have fierce conversations. And that doesn't mean they have to be fierce. But in, in you, as you indicated, we a lot of times we don't have those because they're not comfortable. The book helped me quite a bit. So fierce conversations, Susan Scott, I just want to make that recommendation. Yeah. And you know, to touch on that a little, or I guess expand on that a little bit as well. um, You know, and this isn't to say to undermine authority in any way, but you could, and you went through this yourself with having, um, you know, your boss's boss come down and want you to do something that you weren't comfortable with because of an, you know, an ethic thing and a more, a morality thing. Um, you know, there may come a time where you have to be able to say whoever, you know, whoever your supervisor is, Hey, no, we can't do this. 
we're not going to do it. This is why. Here's my alternative suggestion for the problem to solve this issue. You know, this isn't going to work or, you know, that whatever the reason may be. I mean, you have to be able to have that conversation. The reason why I say it that way is, you know, leadership doesn't come with a title. Leadership can be anyone. So if you're a mm -hmm. senior firefighter, you're just, you know, you're, you're, you're a guy with four years on and you're the junior firefighter, eight years on the junior fire, whatever it is, you need to be able to speak up and just say, you know, Hey guys, this isn't right. Or, you know, get out of that comfort zone or, and that, you know, most of all, not just go along to get along. Like you don't want to do that, especially in leadership. And the, the, the biggest thing that I would like to do with the, you know, the whole movement of this podcast is to empower people at all ranks to be able to be comfortable and confident. And that requires having difficult conversations and getting way, way out of your comfort zone, whether you like it or not, because whatever the task at hand or the discussion at hand that needs to happen needs to happen. Yeah, absolutely. And, and your folks need to understand that they're going to have to be uncomfortable before they can ever get comfortable. Sure. And you're never going to be comfortable because I feel like in my experiences in my, my time as a supervisor, I felt like more often than not, I was just sitting in that area of not feeling comfortable at all and not really enjoying a lot of the things that, you know, came up that I, I have, I'd have to handle it at a, you know, at a moment's notice. And it just feels like, you know, that's just kind of going to be your wheelhouse and you know, it's coming, you got to take a deep breath and work through it and do your best and ask for help when you know you need it. Yep, absolutely. Um, so the one, the other thing that you talked about was uh, your classmates who were killed um, from drunk driving accidents and all those things. Yep. Do you feel that that created any type of, um, I guess, desire to serve your community or mentor young people, especially after you became an officer when you saw them young and impressionable? Because, you know, guys and girls in the fire service are getting hired younger and younger. I mean, there's a lot of them out there now that are 18, 19, 20 years old. I got hired right as I was 20 and I was very young and impressionable. And I had a few officers that were very, very good about taking me under their wing. Do you feel that those, those events in your life, early in your life, excuse me, um, created a desire to serve and, you know, you kind of see these young kids you're like, you know, hey, this event in my life makes me want to, you know, bestow good advice, a good um, uh, role model uh, to them. Do you feel like any of that had an effect on it? Oh, absolutely. I, I, and how I would say it is that set the ex example for me of what not to be. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to be the one setting the example of what to be instead of the one setting the example of what not to be. And while I have never taken that and formally turned it into, you know, a mentoring kind of um, opportunity, I have informally used that throughout my career. And I go back to my mom and dad growing up. I, re I mean, I seem like I remember it every day. Um, something would come up where they'd, I'd want to do something and they'd, I'd say, uh, you know, Johnny gets to do it. And they would always reply the same way. If Johnny jumped off the cliff, would you follow him? And, you know, that is what reverberates in my brain uh, every time I think about those situations. And I hope that I've put that into 
current era, if you will, from a perspective of mentoring, because mentoring is not the same that it used to be. It's all about setting the example, but we used to set the example and have to read about it in the newspaper or set the example and have to re- uh, listen to it at church. Or Now we can set the example and broadcast it on Facebook in three seconds. So I've tried to set that example um, by remaining positive in my posts. And I don't mean, uh, uh, no, no offense to anybody called Sally. I don't mean Sally Sunshine um, kind of uh, positivity. I mean um, that the posts that I put out aren't about tearing people down. They're about a combination of figuring out how to not be this in this position and figuring out how to do better, uh, which ultimately is going to build people up. And that's what I hope all of those situations have helped me um, mold my uh, my unofficial mentoring role into is something where people feel like they can use the examples that I that I set and the examples that I share as examples to help them develop into positive human beings moving forward. It's a fantastic answer, Chief. Um, I think ultimately our goal as leaders, whether you're leading your household, you're leading your crew, um, you're setting examples to always, always, always build people up around you, always be able to push them to be the best that they can, um, always push them to better themselves every day, build yourself up, build yourself up to be a better person. So that way, you know, in turn, in my experience, you can be a better leader and a better human being for those around you, whether you're at home, you're in the business world, whether you're in public safety, military, it doesn't matter. Ultimately at the end of the day, we need to build others up. We need to help them get to that next level. We need to help them um, thrive. And part of that is, you know, kind of like you, you said uh, about putting out the way I interpret is putting out the truth of things that, you don't want to be like, uh, you know, the good, the good, there's good and bad articles. There's good and bad things that happen in people's lives. And they need to see both of that because the best way, you know, to be built up is to say, Hey, look, this is the path. This is what I think you need to do. These are, this is where you're going, but Hey, just don't, you know, remember, you don't want to make these mistakes. These yeah. are the mistakes. These are the mistakes that I made. And, and I made quite a big one and I'm not going to get too, into too much detail, so, but I so made I, a, I want to, I want to expand just a bit on what you just said there. Sure. Because it's, it's just like safety investigation reports. So safety investigation reports <clears throat> have a history in the fire service and, and other industries, but we're only talking about the fire service. They have a history of ending up on a shelf. And um, so many times we see those safety investigation reports come out with the words lessons learned uh, blazoned, emblazoned across the top of them. And I always try to read those. I don't always read them. I won't lie. Uh, But I always try to. I always try to read as many of them as I can and not just get to um, see what the problem was, but to see what the solution was. And ultimately to try and make myself, my organization, our organization better by evolving through those lessons learned. Because at the end of the day, they're not lessons learned if they don't change a culture. If all they are is an example of somebody's mistake, then they're just an example. 
for there to be a lesson learned, it has to ha it, it, there has to be a change that comes with that, and that um, uh, that might be something where you evolve, or that might be something like if we take the 57th Avenue um, uh, incident, the 57th Avenue incident. You know, we had um, 106 recommendations that came out of it, and 20. Four of them, I believe, is the number. Twenty-four of those, we, we we did an analysis of all the safety investigation reports that, that we could find in Prince George County that were vaguely sim similar, and twenty-four of the recommendations were found in other safety investigation reports, as far back as twenty-five years. So what that means is that for twenty-five years, we were kicking the can down the road every time a safety investigation report came out with lessons learned, uh, emblazoned across the top of it. And I, I made that was an impactful time for me as chief, where um, I made the decision that that wasn't going to happen to me or the next chief again. And we set out a, a path to make the necessary changes. Uh, and, and you can't just snap your finger and make these kind of changes. Right. We're talking twelve million dollars in investment in SCBA. We were talking a change in the chain of command. We're talking about um, uh, command sheets and the different things, all of those things needed to happen and they weren't going to happen overnight, but we set a course forward and that needs to really be the lesson out of all of this is that they're not lessons learned unless they change a culture. And I hope that people just, if they don't take anything else away from this conversation, that they take that away, that um, if you want lessons learned, then make sure you're taking them to heart and making the positive change to make your organization and you yourself better. And that should be started with people uh, that are leaders. And I'm not saying people that are high ranking, I'm saying leaders. Absolutely. And that needs to be person personified by everyone and anyone uh, in the organization. And that starts with the most influential people would be your supervisors. And I think if the department's not Prince George County, I'm saying any department, if any department recognizes there's a problem or something that needs to be fixed, one, it's just like anything else. You can't, you know, you can't fix a problem if you don't know about it. One, two, the first step to solving a problem is admitting there is a problem. And three is enacting on it because you could have those reports and those reports are great. And they look good on, on paper and they sound, you know, very well articulated and they could be very well written. And if you don't do anything about it, it means nothing. Right. Sure. You know, that, it's that old it's that old saying that, you know, my dad told me was don't tell me, show me. And that's an old I know that's an old one because he told me his dad told him that. So that's that's been out for a long. That's you know, that saying has been around a, quite some time. And that's what ultimately what it comes out to is don't tell me, show me. Yeah. Um, and that's just like any, that's anything else in, in leadership in general is you can say all whatever it is that you want. But if you don't enact it and you don't you know, personify it and you know, start with yourself, you know, you're, it's just not going to happen. Sure. Um, so it's been a fantastic, fantastic, uh, conversation chief. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to, uh, expand upon or did you have, uh, you know, anybody you wanted to give a shout out to anything? Um, no, I, you, I think you hit it. I think, um, uh, could you rescue you is, is the program that, uh, is kind of my signature program where we talk about a lot of the things that we talked about here. Uh, and um, I, you know, I encourage people to, 
to look that up. And if they have the opportunity to attend a program somewhere, um, I'll be at Fire Rescue East. I'll be uh, given this, a similar program at Fire Rescue International um, in, um, I believe it's Kansas City in uh, August. And uh, just did it in a couple of places down here in Florida, Georgia, Louisiana. Uh, certainly, I encourage people to come take a listen and uh, give me your feedback, please, because that's how we make it better is is by uh, feeding off of each other. And I go back to the it's it's not a lesson learned unless it changes the culture. It's, it just becomes a problem identified uh, and not a lesson learned if you don't do something about it. Yeah, words are only words and words are only talk until there's action. Right. Absolutely. Um, so we'll uh, we'll we'll link all the shows and the the classes and um, your articles to the description of this episode. Uh, Chief, what's a good place for everybody to reach you? Uh, social media. What's what's a good place? Yep. To so uh, face Facebook is you know I'm on Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, Instagram. Not a whole bunch on Instagram. LinkedIn's very uh, all about professional work. And uh, Facebook is uh, work and personal for me. So, uh, and also Twitter. So on Twitter, it's Chief Bashur. Uh, on uh, Facebook, it's just my name, uh, Mark Bashur. Same on um, Instagram and on uh, LinkedIn. And they can reach me at chiefbashur at gmail.com if somebody wants to send me an email, and I'll be happy to have a conversation. Sounds fantastic. We'll, we'll link everything to the, to the episode description. I know I said that already. Uh, Chief this has been a very in-depth conversation. I thank you so much for your time. Absolutely. Um, it's been very impactful for me. I, there's a lot that I know I'm going to take away. Um, to our listeners, thank you guys for coming. Please like, share, leave us a review. We're going to read them all. Hey, guys. That was one great episode. Please like, subscribe, and share. Uh, looking back, I, I just I took a lot away from from this episode uh, with Chief Bayshore. It was it was really good, and you know I hope you all take something away from it too. Follow us on Instagram and social medias. Just search Tip of the Spear Leadership, and uh, we've got more coming. Keep your eye out. Follow us on the Instagram. And uh, tip of the spear leadership, be present, be yourself, be unstoppable.